welcome to the First Contact Headache and Primary Care podcast. Every episode, we break down topics in headache medicine for primary care providers and other healthcare professionals seeing patients with headache disorders. The goal of the First Contact Headache and Primary Care program is to provide educational resources to empower healthcare professionals and to improve headache and migraine care for patients. Hi, I'm Dr. Mia Minnan, a board-certified headache specialist and associate professor at NYU Langone Health. Today, we're talking about epidemiology and diagnosis in migraine and headache. My guest today is Dr. Christopher Gottschalk. Hi, Dr. Gottschalk. Why don't you introduce yourself to the listeners? Thank you, Dr. Minnan, and thanks so much for inviting me and for the opportunity to talk about an important topic. I am currently the Director of Headache Medicine at Yale Neurology, where I'm also the Director of the Headache Medicine Training Program. We have a very active program of clinical research and training and reaching out to local physicians to raise awareness about headache-related disorders. So to kick off this conversation, I think it's best if we talk about what migraine is and what migraine is not. Could you help start us off with that? I can certainly try. Um, I do think that the, the misunderstandings, the misperceptions about what headache is or isn't is one of the most important challenges that we face as headache specialists. Uh, given some of the facts. So, for example, the fact that migraine, even at the nominal level, affects something like 12% of the general population is already a huge number and a big deal. But I think the really important information there is migraine is not a lot of the things that we grew up being told. Migraine is not dilated blood vessels that cause pain and throbbing and therefore need to be constricted by drugs that may be dangerous because they're vasoconstrictor. Migraine is not a headache problem due to stress or muscle contraction or sinus problems that lots of us have all grown up thinking was true. But if you simply define migraine as repeated episodes of pain and sensitivity to your environment that can be disabling, then you start to get a sense of what migraine means. Repeated periods of partial or complete disability that can last hours or days. So if there is a wish to help people to reduce suffering and disability, it turns out that migraine is really one of the most important things that we could focus on. I think those are really important points and especially why migraine is not just a headache, right? So many people think, oh, it's just a headache and you've so clearly explained why there's so much burden. It's not just a headache, it's so much more than that. So an- another question is why does migraine disproportionately impact women? So it's definitely true that, the, that hormones and hormone cycling relate to the prevalence of migraine, to how many people have migraine. So very interestingly, before menarche, before girls start to menstruate, migraine is probably more common in boys than girls. And then suddenly around 11, 12, 13, girls start to develop the same recurring pattern of pain and nausea and sensitivity to light, et cetera, at 10 times as many as boys, and that continues over years. So by the time you get to 20 and 30-year-olds, three times as many women as men have migraine. So, so many patients feel like they're unheard, and migraine is an invisible illness. There are no biomarkers for it. Um, So how many people with migraine have actually received a diagnosis? 
a great question and a troubling one. Um, so in large population-based epidemiologic studies, so when somebody sends out a survey to households saying, do you have any of these symptoms? Do you have headaches that are associated with nausea, sensitivity to light, sound, et cetera? When that's done, you get a sense of how many people in the general population actually have migraine. And that's where we get numbers like 18% of women on average and 6% of men. Then if you ask, and have you seen a doctor and what happens when you talk to a doctor, those studies generally indicate that only about half of people who say they have symptoms that are typical of migraine actually get that diagnosis from a physician. Then if they do get the diagnosis, they're fairly likely to get at least one prescription for an effective drug. And unfortunately, most of the time, then on repeated visits, they are not necessarily getting good follow-up about whether or not their treatment is working. But if we just start at the level of, if somebody has symptoms that meet criteria for migraine, do they get diagnosed? And it's unfortunately true that it's still about half who don't. What amazes me is that in more recent studies, when somebody has what we call chronic migraine, meaning headache at least 15 days a month, and at least half of those are clearly migraine. So somebody with more severe illness, more severe headache-related disability, those patients are even less likely to get diagnosed with migraine. It's called something else, and we're not entirely sure what the something else is yet, but there seems to be some kind of bias that operates against recognizing chronic migraine when it exists. Yeah, so you've just talked a lot about a lot of misdiagnosis and underdiagnosis of migraine. In fact, I think you said half of the people out there with migraine go underdiagnosed. So if yep. you could just tell us a little bit about the implications for those who are undiagnosed or go without treatment for a long period of time. Well, it is, it's, a, it's an issue of uh, many things, but the end result is that many patients with migraine who are more likely to be women will end up spending years seeing different clinicians trying to get help for this problem, which causes, costs them a lot of time and costs them and their families a great deal of strain and suffering from periods of disability and pain and suffering, and are often either given a diagnosis that doesn't help because it doesn't lead to effective therapy, or unfortunately are all too often told something like, look, this is all in your head, it's not really a problem, because something like tension headache is not thought of as a disabling disorder. It's just a problem with managing stress. So part of that is the unfortunate bias that still exists about recognizing and validating pain in women. We know from lots of studies of lots of, lots of different disorders in different contexts that pain is not taken as seriously in women, it's not treated as well, it's not uh, validated in all kinds of ways. And this is unfortunately another example of that. So rather than being told, oh gee, you have a recurring disorder that causes disability, I can't wait to do something to help you. Too often women are told something like, I think you're just a little stressed, dear, 
and you need to relax. A lot of what you're saying really resonates with me. So many of the patients, they come in and they've been to the eye doctor thinking they had blurred vision and need new glasses. Could if you, if you could just tell us, you know, why do you think it's important for primary care providers to be able to identify migraine? You've given lots of great reasons. Any other things in particular that we should know? Well, at the, at the start, part of the issue is most migraine patients never get past the primary care clinician, right? So this is the reality that something like two-thirds of migraine patients out there, if they've seen a doctor, have seen a primary care clinician, which is not a problem, but there are not enough neurologists in the country to see all the headache patients, and there are definitely not enough headache specialists to see all the migraine patients out there ever. So part of it is simply a workforce issue that we need, certainly primary care doctors, in my opinion, I think all physicians should be absolutely comfortable with recognizing and diagnosing migraine so that those patients can be directed to the right kind of care. And then once you do that, once you say, I understand what category I'm in, you can offer straightforward, evidence-based therapies of a range of types and at least get people started on good treatment. If that happened, if we simply made the switch to instead of 50% of patients with migraine getting the right diagnosis, that it's 90%, and those people got good therapy from the get-go, that would reduce the burden of migraine on society enormously because there's so much of it out there and so many people who are seeking help and I think over time, it would actually increase the chances that people who have headache disorders would go to a doctor because they would talk to five other people who say, oh, yeah, I had that. I went to my doctor. They did this for me. It's awesome. You should do the same thing. But sadly, that's often not what happens is that people say, yeah, you know, I had the same thing. I talked to my doctor. They told me this or that. It didn't really help, so I gave up. So there's a potential there to increase, you know, in a speed forward way, the value of diagnosis and treatment in the primary care setting. And the fact is the tools we have are very effective now more than ever. And for the most part, perfectly safe and well tolerated. For sure. Um, you've mentioned so many facts, you know, epidemiology and about diagnosis. Are there any other facts that we didn't touch on that we should, you know, discuss now? I could talk about this all day, but uh, I think in general terms, one of the things to consider is that there are, for example, some very, very effective screening tools for diagnosing and managing migraine. So there is something called the ID migraine, a simple three-question screener can actually be administered to people outside of a doctor's office visit that simply ask, if you have headaches, do they ever cause sensitivity to light? Do they ever cause functional impairment? Do they ever cause nausea? If somebody answers two out of those three questions positively, there is a 93% positive predictive value that that is migraine. If they answer all three, yes, it's 98%. We have another great mnemonic called the SNOOP mnemonic that allows you to check for red flags for what might be secondary causes of headache. Not difficult to run through. It's basically just reminding you of all the right categories to consider and can help you to eliminate the possibility of further testing that's needed. Those are great tools that if they were used routinely would save a lot of clinicians time and stress about whether or not they're diagnosing the right thing. There are also some very useful scales for 
stratifying people in terms of how much of a problem this is. If you use the migraine disability assessment scale, MIDAS, you can then very quickly know, is this somebody with a mild, a moderate, or a severe headache problem, and then target your treatment accordingly. So it's not just how many headaches you have, but literally how much time are you losing to this headache disorder? And if it's a lot, then clearly there's reason to do more. And the last one on that list that I use routinely is the migraine treatment optimization questionnaire. Again, four questions that are simply asking people in a structured way, is the treatment that you're taking now really working as well as we should? Just helping doctors and patients understand that that's what we're talking about when we mean effective therapy is an important part of the message that there's reason to believe that we can do a lot better than most people think. Well, thank you, Dr. Christopher Gottschalk for joining us today. This has been such an informative session on the epidemiology and diagnosis of migraine and headache. And thank you, Dr. Menon, for the opportunity. It's been a great pleasure talking to you. Well, thank you for tuning into this episode. Listeners can find additional information and doctor-verified resources about migraine diagnosis and more on the First Contact Headache and Primary Care website. Visit the site at AmericanHeadacheSociety.org slash primary care. This podcast is brought to you by the American Headache Society and made possible by Eli Lilly.